So if you haven't gathered by now, our scripture reading is going to be from Jonah. And very briefly, my, one of my main goals for this series is uh, to get us to try to see Jonah in a new light. And so as we read this passage together, try to imagine that you're reading it for the first time. And what things would you think when you're reading this for the very first time? This is likely a story that many of us are familiar with. So we're just going to read uh, the first 16 verses. Jonah 1 has 17 verses, but I'm going to cut off the last one because it fits better next week. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. 
So I've, I've got a lot of things to say this morning, and I think they're all important. I've tried to condense down as much as possible. I don't want to keep you all for too long. So I'm going to jump right into it and, and try to kind of go pretty quickly through this uh, introduction before I get to Jonah chapter 1 and breaking the story down. So there are two main reasons why I chose uh, Jonah for my first series. This is my first sermon series ever, if you didn't know. And the first reason being that I actually already did some pretty intense study back in the fall for my Hebrew course. We did that on the book of Jonah. And I learned a lot when I was doing that, both about translation and about the story of Jonah, things that I didn't know before. And this leads me right into the second reason why I chose this, is that I would wager that most of us don't know what the book of Jonah is really about. The story of Jonah is, of course, well known, even to people who aren't Christians. I think you could talk to almost anyone on the street with this leading phrase, Jonah and the whale. Right. Well, wrong. <laughs> you see, as an example, Jonah never interacts with a whale. The Bible describes it as a great fish. The NIV says huge fish. So not only is there no whale, but the great fish has almost nothing to do with the main story, and it's only mentioned in three verses in the whole book. So I think that we've been taught to focus on the wrong thing. Tim Mackey, who Pastor Eric mentioned last week, if you remember My Strange Bible or The Bible Project, Tim Mackey calls this the Veggie Tales effect. And I love that. <laughs> the idea is that we're so familiar with kind of a, a simplified children's version of a story that it's lost its true meaning, and it becomes very hard for us to look at a story that we think we know so well with fresh eyes. So the book of Jonah is not about a guy who disobeys God and then gets swallowed up by a whale and then decides to obey God and Nineveh is saved, hooray, the end. That's, that's not what it's about. These next four weeks, it's my goal to get you to see, hopefully, what Jonah is really about. The title for this series is The Upside-Down Mirror. This is the wrong slide. That's an old one. Anyways, The Upside-Down Mirror. That's what it should say up there. <laughs> so, do you ever have it where you wake up in the middle of the night in a hot sweat, you got this great idea. So you grab a, a pen and a paper, or you grab your phone, you write it down, you go back to sleep, and in the morning you wake up and you look at it and you go, what on earth is this? Who wrote this? Well, I had that not long ago when I wrote a note down on my phone that said, Jonah is an upside down mirror. I had been thinking for a little while about the series, and I woke up in the middle one night, and I wrote this down, and then in the morning I had no idea what it meant. 
So it took me a few days to kind of think about it and try to decipher what this note meant, and now I really like the analogy. So perhaps you've heard people say, maybe I've said it before from up here or in a different situation, that the Bible is like a mirror. The people in the stories often teach us something about ourselves. When you read the Bible, it's like looking in a mirror. You see yourself. And when it comes to the book of Jonah, theologians have often described Jonah as, as upside down. Everything in the story seems to be the opposite of what it should be, of what it's supposed to be. So, to kind of mix metaphors, which I really love to do, the book of Jonah is like a mirror that's upside down. But here's the catch. You can't hold a mirror upside down. No matter what way you hold it, it's always going to show you exactly as you are, right? So this is the goal of Jonah's story, to show us that we're probably more upside down than we think we might be. That we're not quite as put together as we think we are. The book of Jonah isn't about a whale, and it isn't about Nineveh, or even Jonah, that it's about you. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about exaggerated stories and over-the-top characters, Jonah being the most notable, who we really want to point a finger at and say, I would never do anything like that. And if you find yourself in that place, which I did many, many times when preparing for this sermon and this series, and you're falling right into the author's trap, the upside-down mirror. So this is part one of four in this upside-down mirror series, and today's message is titled, A Misunderstood Story. So after that kind of lengthy intro, hopefully you see a bit what I'm getting at, and we're going to try to keep embracing this idea that the biblical story of Jonah is a little bit different than the Veggie Tales version many of us have come to know and love. So when we're studying a book, we have to know a few things first, which will influence the way that we interpret what's on the page. The first thing that we have to note is the author, who wrote it and why. In this particular book, the author isn't outrightly stated, but it's not unreasonable to assume that Jonah himself wrote this. Most prophets wrote their own books. But there's more to this prophet's book than meets the eye, which we'll get to. So next we have to look at the genre of the book. Is it historical? Is it poetic? Is it somewhere in between? Is the story of Jonah something that really happened, or is it an allegory that somebody made up? And this is debated among scholars. I don't pretend to have the definitive answer, but I'll give you my opinion. I think that it's an allegory. It's not factual history. 
Here's why I think that. Jonah 1 verse 1 opens up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And when you read that, you're supposed to think, okay, this is going to be a, a prophetic book. Because nearly every other prophet book opens up this same way. If you still have your Bible open or if you have uh, one near you on hand, you can flip ahead just a few pages to the next book, Micah. You'll find the exact same opening in Micah. The word of the Lord came to Micah. And then when you go through the rest of the book, you find Micah's prophecy. You find what the word of the Lord that came to Micah was. So the book of Jonah starts out like a normal prophet book, but when we get to verse 3, this prophet book turns upside down. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. We get this prophetic opening, but then the rest of the book isn't filled with prophecy like it's supposed to be. Instead, we find a story about a prophet who runs away from God. So right from the very beginning of the book, the author is messing with us. And as we continue on, we'll find all kinds of exaggerations and hilarity. It could be history, but I think it points to it being an allegory. So to quickly summarize, Jonah himself is writing this story about how bad of a prophet he is. I think what he's actually getting at is just a commentary on God's people, on us. That we are the ones who run away from God when he asks us to do something that we don't want to. But in the story, Jonah doesn't just run away from God. Jonah gets on a boat headed for Tarshish. So from the city of Joppa, where Jonah gets on the boat, Nineveh is about 550 miles west. Sorry, 550 miles east. I'm not good at directions. And Tarshish is 2,500 miles west. So Jonah is going five times the distance in the exact wrong direction. For the people at this time, Tarshish is like as far west as you can possibly go. Like, we don't even know what comes after that. There's just water endlessly until you fall off the face of the earth. That's Tarshish. Why would Jonah do this? Why does he run away from God? What's so bad about going to Nineveh that Jonah goes way out of his way to run? Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire. At the time, it's one of the main enemies of the Israelites. The Assyrians were a world superpower, and they're one of the most brutal in all of history. I'll spare you 
the downright awful and the gory details, just know this is an impressive feat to be one of the most, to be known as one of the most brutal in all of history. Think about the horrible things that humanity has done. So one of Jonah's motivations could be that he was afraid to go to Nineveh because he thought he might be killed if he went there. And again, as the series goes on, I hope to show you that's not why Jonah ran. The author is starting to put Jonah on, on a downward spiral. Jonah hears the word of the Lord, and instead of going to Nineveh like he's supposed to, the author writes in Hebrew that that Jonah goes down to Joppa. Remember, Joppa's not south. It's actually east. It's actually kind of northeast. It doesn't go down like on a map. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat, and then down below deck where he's sleeping in verse 5, And then soon he'll go down into the water and then down into the belly of a fish. But for now, Jonah, in verse 5, is sleeping. Sleeping in the middle of a storm so violent and dangerous that the Bible says the ship threatened to break up. The author does this funny personification of the boat, where it's like it's talking, the boat itself is threatening the sailors and Jonah, if you don't do something about the situation that we're in, I'm going to fall apart. And the sailors, they're throwing the cargo overboard, all their belongings, their cargo sailors, this is all their hope of making any money for them and their families for the whole season, all of it, they're throwing it overboard. You see how intense the situation is, how bad the storm is. And Jonah is sleeping. Not just physically sleeping, but spiritually asleep. The sailors are awake. They know they're in danger and they're afraid because they don't know what to do. Fear is a very important theme in this first chapter of Jonah, so pay attention to where it's brought up. The Hebrew word here for fear is yareh. Everyone say yareh. Great. Verse 5 tells us, the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own god but nothing happened. So then they go down below deck. They find Jonah. Tell him, cry out to your own God. But from what we read, Jonah also does nothing. It's an interesting choice for God's prophet. Sailors are trying to solve the situation while Jonah does nothing. He's spiritually asleep. The sailors decide to cast lots, sort of like drawing straws, to find out who to blame for the storm, 
and Jonah gets the short straw. He tells them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. This is a bad translation, I think. It should say, fear the Lord. Sorry, we can go to the next slide here. The, the scripture is up there. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. It should say, fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified the sailors. The two more times, fear comes up. Jonah fears the Lord. Yeah, right, Jonah. If you feared the Lord, you would be in Nineveh right now. And the sailors, who are terrified for their lives, imagine them, right? You're telling me, Jonah, your God made the sea, and you got on a boat to run away from him. Are you crazy? So, so what do we do? And Jonah says, get this, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. Jonah is asking them to kill him. Let's not read into this at all. There is no message from God that tells Jonah, this is what you have to do. And there's no message from God that says, if you do this, you'll be safe. What is Jonah doing again? Oh, throw me overboard. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I guess I'll just have to die, and I'll never get to go to Nineveh. Oh, no. Jonah wants to die rather than go to Nineveh. And this is not the only time that we're going to hear this sentiment from him. So remember this. And this is why I think that Jonah was not afraid to die in Nineveh, because he already wants to die before he even gets there. That's not the issue. But the sailors, they go, no way. We don't want to kill you. And they try valiantly to row the sailboat, this massive boat. They try to row back to land to save Jonah's life, but it doesn't work. The storm keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Nothing is working. The sailors are in increasingly serious danger, and it's all Jonah's fault. They're trying to save him desperately, and he does nothing to save them. God's prophet does nothing. Doesn't he care at all about the people around him? How can God's prophet behave this way? What a joke. Remember, the story isn't about Jonah. It's about you and me. The mirror may seem like it's upside down, God's prophet doesn't behave this way. God's people don't behave this way. 
I don't behave this way, right? I think it won't take long to see. We're more like Jonah than maybe we care to admit. And feeling like you're superior to Jonah is just the first indicator. Again, if that feels a bit like you're being personally attacked, just know that I'm right there with you. And last, we come to a surprise ending. There's one thing that really amazes me in this chapter. Even this Jonah, who selfishly runs away from God, who puts others in danger, who wants to die rather than obey, that God still uses him to produce faith in the people around him. The sailors cried out to God for mercy before they, they threw Jonah overboard. This is the first prayer in the book, and it comes from the pagan sailors, and again, not from the prophet of God. And when throwing Jonah overboard miraculously works, verse 16 says, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. Fear shows up one more time. In Hebrew, Yahweh is repeated. You might say, like, that the men feared a great fear of God. It's not fear of the storm that they feared earlier. Not the fake version of Jonah's fear of God. But genuine faith is produced in the sailors. Sailors realize that despite the crazy prophet, the Lord is a God worthy of worship. He may be the God who sent the storm, but he is also the God who brought them safely through it. And proof of their faith is in the second half of this verse. The proof is that they make sacrifices which they would have to do back on land. The boat's too small to make as big of a sacrifice as they would have to make. And they vow to be faithful to him, just as he was faithful to them. You see, God is not limited by Jonah, who would rather die than see his enemies receive mercy. You see, the difference is that God was willing to die so that his enemies would receive mercy. Jonah wanted death to avoid it, but Jesus died to ensure that you and I would be able to receive mercy. Jesus died for Jonah and for the sailors, and even for the brutal Ninevites. Jesus died to show you mercy, and he asks you to show mercy, even to people who you think 
don't deserve it. Are you okay with that? Let's pray. Jesus, give us humble hearts. Help us to see the ways that we are just like Jonah, that we would stop pointing fingers at other people and we would start sharing the same unconditional love and mercy that you give to us so freely. You are so good. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to come together and worship you and encourage each other. Lord, give us fresh eyes as we learn more about you and about ourselves. Amen.